Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Well, we've been talking, uh, we've been preaching through Luke 1. We're at the end today, the very last part, before we get on Christmas Eve to Luke 2, which is where Jesus is born. And the section we're covering today is when John the Baptist is born. But before we get into Luke 1, we need to remember a couple of things. The the story of John the Baptist does not start in Luke 1. The story of John the Baptist starts where? Malachi, which is 400 years before John is born. I want to read this to you. You can just listen. This is, the, this is uh, Malachi 3. The Lord God says this, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And then chapter four. For behold, the day is coming burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Who's that talking about? It's talking about John. Jesus says that John is the Elijah that Malachi was talking about. John is the one who comes before the Lord, Jesus. And so Malachi, God sends this prophecy, speaks through the mouth of Malachi. God prophesies this coming of John. And then what happens? Nothing. Nothing. For for 400 years, nothing. Nothing. Until this. 
The angel comes to Elizabeth, tells him exactly what's going to happen. Tells, no, I'm sorry. The angel comes to Zechariah, tells him exactly what's going to happen. To which he responds, really? Prove it. <laughs> to which Gabriel says, shut up and go to your room. for nine months. And then this. Okay, let me read the whole, the whole section. This is Luke 1, 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. And she gave birth to a son. I'm just gonna comment as I go through. Listen, think about this. John was a what? What would you call John? I think, yeah, a surprise, yeah. He was a miracle, right? He was a miracle. This is not natural. This is not normal. This is a surprise. But out of the ordinary realm of surprises. And he's a miracle baby. The Gabriel comes and tells Zechariah what's gonna happen. And then what did Zechariah have to do? <laughs> he had to go and do his job. Are you with me? I mean, this isn't Mary, this is Elizabeth. So God promises, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a son. But I'm not gonna zap you. You've gotta do your work, Zacharias. Go home and get busy. He does it. Right? And then, so just in the normal course of events, a baby is conceived and is carried to term. And so miracle babies, um, except the miracle baby, Jesus, miracle babies are made in the same way that babies are made. And carried to term the same way that babies are carried to term. Nothing special, nothing weird, nothing easy. Just the normal course of events. One of the things I want us to see from this is that this is how God works. He works through the normal course of events. Don't sit there and wait to be zapped. Pray your prayers, ask God to work, and then get up and work. That's what Zechariah had to do if you get my meaning. That's what we have to do. And then let the process work out. And even in this normal process, this is God working. Look what, he, look what verse 58 says. So she gave birth, gave birth to her son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. They heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. How? Well, by giving her a son in her old age, yes. But also, simply preserving her life in the process. This is great mercy. You shouldn't take this for granted. 
Mary lived. I'm sorry. Elizabeth lived. Elizabeth lived. And John lived. Some of us take that for granted. Some of you I know do not take that for granted. And none of us should. This is, this is mercy. This is great mercy. The Lord has magnified his great mercy toward Elizabeth. She gets a baby. She lives. The baby lives. This is mercy from God. This is mercy from God every single time it happens. And we should ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And then it says they were rejoicing with her. Think about this. Uh, That is the natural thing to do, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Isn't, Isn't that the natural thing to do? Yeah, that's why we have to be commanded by God to do it. He just commands us to do things that come naturally to us, right? Yeah. He does command us. In Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. No, this actually isn't the natural thing to do. The natural thing to do is to be indifferent at best or what? Jealous, envious. How come, how come Elizabeth gets a baby? Do you think there are any other barren women in Mary, in, I keep saying Mary. I can be forgiven, right, for saying Mary? Do you think there are any other barren women in Elizabeth's circle of friends and family? I mean, in this circle of friends and family, we have more than one woman who's been barren, right? And we're talking about a big extended group of people with Elizabeth. There were other barren women. And I know it's hard, and yet rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's what they did. They were rejoicing with her. And so Elizabeth had her baby. And now, what happens next? Well, verse 59. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This is what you do. According to the the law of Moses, you have a son. He's eight days old. He, He comes to be circumcised. And what also happens when he's circumcised is he's named. This is when you name the child. And so it happened on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Now, this account is hopelessly patriarchal. Everything about it assumes all kinds of realities that we hate. Fathers have authority. Fathers rule. 
Look at what I mean. It happened that on the eighth day there came to circumcise the child. They were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Well, of course. What else would you call this kid? Zacharias is old. He's never had a son. Never had a child. Never had a son. He's not going to have any more sons. This is, the, this is it. So what are we going to name him? Zacharias. This daddy just goes without question. But his mother answered, look what it says, verse 60. But his mother answered and said, no, indeed. But he shall be called John. Think of the audacity of Elizabeth. All the pressure. And it's normal pressure and it's good pressure. We're going to name him. I mean, we're going to see here in a second, Zacharias can't, can neither hear nor speak. So we can't really confer. We're just going to name him Zacharias. That's what, that's what would be normal. She goes, no, no. No, indeed. No way. Where does she get the guts to say that? Well, Gabriel had spoken. And what did Gabriel say? You will give him the name John. You will give him the name John. Just like we read earlier about Jesus, you will call him Jesus. So Gabriel tells us, tells the mothers and the fathers what to name the children. You will call his name John. Now why the name John? Why John? John is so normal and so everyday to us. My dad is named John. My first name is John. Didn't know if you knew that or not. Our last son is John. There's a John. There's a John everywhere. John, John. There are Johns everywhere. It's just John. Yeah, whatever that means. Well, it means something, actually. John... Here is in Greek, this is where, you know, New Testament's written in Greek, but it comes from the Hebrew name Yohanan. Yohanan means, in Hebrew, Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. And so, of course, John doesn't mean anything to us, it's just a sound. But think about this. Every, every time that Elizabeth called John to dinner. <laughs> right? Yahweh is gracious. Come and eat. Yahweh is gracious. Clean up your room. You know? I mean, that's, that's what those sounds meant to their ear. Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. Hope it doesn't crash into us. And so that's what the word means. That's what the name means. Yahweh is gracious. And look, verse 61. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by that name. What are you thinking? Come on, Elizabeth. And so what did they do? Verse 62. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. Because after all, that is actually important. 
Now this is how we know that he wasn't just uh, mute. It wasn't the judgment, the discipline that God laid on, on Zacharias through Gabriel was not just being mute, it was also being deaf. Because how do we know that? Because they can't just ask him, they have to make signs to him. They had to write it out or, you know, I don't know. How do you ask someone what you want to name this kid? They did it. They made signs to him. They wrote it out. They couldn't just ask him. So they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. His name is John. It is. Not will be, not maybe we should think about this, not, hey Elizabeth, what do you think? Right, but it's John, his name is John. So Zacharias is the father, he has the last word. Everybody understands this. This is a good and godly pattern when there's something to naming that is bigger than just assigning a nice sound to someone or something, right? It actually means something. When, when the, the first act, Adam's first act of exercising dominion over the creation that God had made and God had made him to rule over it, Adam's first act of dominion was what? To name the animals. That was an act of dominion, it was an act of authority. Who else did Adam name? Eve. He named her. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is hopelessly patriarchal and that's not a bad thing. This is the nature of reality. This is what God has made. And these people get it. So think about that. Brothers, fathers, you bear authority even in the act of naming your children. Now some of you, uh, I know, will hear this and get out the Barney Fife badge (laughs) and decide, I'm not gonna ask my wife what we're gonna name this kid. We're not naming this kid, I'm naming this kid. I know some of you have done this and so I know some of you will. Don't be a Barney Fife, don't be a little man, be a man. All right, but don't miss the fact that that's what's actually happening. All right, there's authority here. And then it says, they were all astonished. They were astonished when he said his name is John. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, they're amazed, they're astonished that he wouldn't name his son after himself. And then it says, what? Verse 64, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. Here is the first act, here is his, the baby has been born, he actually puts pen to paper or whatever and writes out 
his name is John. Just like Gabriel said. And then and only then, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. The discipline is over and he began to praise God. Think of that. Nine months. Zacharias had nine months to contemplate all of this in complete silence. In complete silence. Not just the silence of not being able to talk, but the silence also of not being able to hear anything. Can you imagine nine months of silence? If you're like me, you get in the car, you turn the radio on. You're mowing the grass, you got the podcast running in the ears, right? There's not a, hardly a moment of silence. And God imposes on Zechariah, like I said, be quiet and think. Think about what? Well, everything that God was doing Everything that God had done, everything that was working up to this. He was silent and he chewed and he thought and he meditated and he suffered. This is hard, this is discipline from God. And then pop, out comes exuberant, well-tuned, deep praise, as we'll see in just a second. Then it says this, fear, verse 65, fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept in mind, kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Everybody knows something's going on. This is weird. This is weird. You got the baby, you got Elizabeth, they're old, you got Zechariah, he's deaf and mute for nine months? What's the deal with that? As soon as he writes down this, his name is John, bam, he's, he's not anymore? This is weird. This is weird. Then, he, then they start talking about what the angel had said to, to Zechariah, and that starts getting out. <coughs> That's weird. But what is the emotion that they feel? What's it say? Fear. Why fear? Well, I suspect because they know Malachi. Remember I read to you Malachi? What, what, what kinds of things are going on around like this John, this Elijah, right? This forerunner, this one clearing the way. What kind of things go along with him? Um, fire. Cleansing. Scrubbed real hard with fuller soap, right? Death, actually, judgment. In other words, this, the gospel, which is good news, 
as we'll see in just a moment, very good news, salvation from our enemies is not good news if you're an enemy. If you're an enemy, you're on the other side of the table. And so they're hearing this, they're freaked out. What is this gonna mean? What is this going to mean? What is happening? Because it actually, you think about Zechariah and the, and the nine months of silence, but it actually hadn't been nine months of silence, it had been 400 years of silence. 400 years. That discipline of waiting and waiting and waiting is gonna bear fruit. God's discipline on Zacharias of waiting in silence for nine months, that's gonna bear fruit too. Here's what he says. Soon as he, God loosens his tongue, here's what he says, verse 67. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now hold on. Zacharias is a, he had just been disciplined by the Lord for nine months, for what? What was the cause of the discipline? What was the sin? Hmm? Unbelief. He's standing there with Gabriel. I don't know how tall Gabriel is. You know? And Gabriel tells him, here's what's gonna happen. And John says, prove it, right? Well, that's what he said. How, 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 how am I supposed to know? And what does Gabriel say? <laughs> Shut up and go to your room, you know? I'm Gabriel, what do you mean you need more proof? He's a sinner. Zechariah sinned. This is an, a wicked thing that he did. He didn't believe the word of the Lord. This is not a little low-grade sin. This is a wicked sin. It's wicked every time we do it too. And it deserves discipline. And so God disciplines him. But then what? After he, Zacharias learns his lesson, nine months of silence, nine months of discipline, nine months of contemplating the error of his ways and the word of the Lord, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't hesitate to fill him with his Holy Spirit. And he prophesied. And this prophecy, these words, are just dripping with the Old Testament. Truth from the Old Testament, direct quotes from the Old Testament, ideas from the Old Testament, allusions to the Old Testament. It's just, you pop the cork and out flows the Old Testament. The hope, the promises. And that's all they had, is hope and promises. Much less than what we have. And yet, it comes gushing out. What does he say? 
Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, the one who makes covenants and keeps them. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. The Lord God visited us. He comes down. He comes down among us. He's become flesh and blood in that baby, in Mary. He comes into this world and he does things. Redemption is a work of God. It's not just a pronouncement of God. It's not just a waving of the hand. It's not just a decree. It is a work that requires him to come down here and do it. And so he's visited us, he's accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. What does that mean? As Soon as you mention David, all these things come to mind, right? What is David? David is what? What was he? He's king. And Zacharias has been stewing on this for nine months. David is a king. And God promised to David in covenant that David would not lack a son sitting on his throne forever and ever and ever. And he would be great and he would rule over the nations. This is the kingdom of God. It's, this is very interesting. If you had been silent for nine months, not by your choice, deaf and dumb for nine months, and your wife has a baby, she's whatever, 80, I don't know. I can't remember if we're told or not. She's old. And you've got your son, what's the first thing gonna be out of your mouth? Well, the first thing out of Zacharias's mouth is not about him. It's not even about John. You know, it's not sentimental. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. This is all, it's all come down to this. Finally, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Who spoke? God spoke. How? By the prophets. You read the prophets, you're reading God. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. That's what he promised. Now that's what he's bringing to pass. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. What are your enemies? Who are they? There are three enemies that every man, woman, and child has. Right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. 
These are our enemies who are out to get you and destroy you. And when God saves people, he also saves them, not just from himself, which he does, but he saves them from all their enemies. What about the world? Well, Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. What about the devil? John says in 1 John that the Lord came to destroy the works of the devil. What about your flesh? Paul says in Galatians, the spirit is at war within you against what? Your flesh. And they're warring back and forth to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Who wins when the Holy Spirit fights against the flesh? Ultimately, ultimately, the Holy Spirit does. Salvation from our enemies. Salvation from our enemies. All these enemies that we still feel oppressed by, Zechariah says no. God has promised salvation from our enemies. Then he says to show mercy to our fathers. All of our fathers, all the way back to Abraham. When God comes and finally makes flesh his promises to all the fathers, it's mercy to the fathers. The fathers are long gone. And yet it's mercy toward our fathers. It's mercy to the fathers when God saves their children. And it says to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. And this has been God's purpose and plan from the very beginning. He said to Abraham, what? I will make you a great nation. I will be your God. You and your descendants will be my people. And through you and through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who's he talking about? Well, the seed we know is Jesus. And we are his seed. This has been the purpose and the plan of God from the very beginning. I've made a covenant Here's what I'm going to do. Took a long time. He's not surprised by that. And what does that look like? Here's what he says. Verse 74, look at this. To grant us, so this is a gift, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now think about this. Think about this. That is, that's the summary of the blessing of the coming of Christ. What does the coming of Christ give us? What does it give you? What does he say? You now get to what? 
What do you get to do? What are you able to do now? What does it say? Serve him. Serve him. This has always been the deal. We get to serve him. So you, you can tell where, two ways you can hear this, right? You can hear it as a slave or as a son. As a slave or as a son. And so when he says, to grant us that we being rescued might serve him without fear, we should think, oh, okay, no longer a slave, but a son. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8, he has not given us, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but a spirit of sonship by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So there's the difference. Not that we shouldn't, and, and not that we may not fear the Lord, we must fear the Lord, but we fear him as sons. And we serve him as sons. Boy, there's a difference. I mean, just think about it. You who are young enough both to have employers and fathers that you still do things for. <laughs> right? And if you have a good relationship with your father, there's a different kind of service for him than there is the boss, right? You wanna serve your father. You wanna please him. And you fear him. But you get to serve him. And it's sweet. This is a gift of God, that we might serve him without fear. How? In holiness and righteousness. According to God's law, he frees us to obey him. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is the point of the gospel. Not just to be saved from, from the penalty of your sins, but to be free to serve him in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life. That is the blessing of blessings for God's people. And then, here's how it ends. Finally, Zacharias has been holding John this whole time. You know? He's, he's circumcised him. He's named him. Out comes the praise. He's holding his son, and he looks, finally, he looks at his son. And you, verse 76, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will be the prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Most High. That's a name we don't often use for God. Shame on us. The Most High. You will be called the prophet of the Most High, 
for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, Malachi 3.1, to give to his people, what? The knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, Malachi 4, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Do you have the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of your sins? Have you tasted the tender mercies of God? Not just the mercies, but the tender mercies. You know, the tender mercies. Have you had the sunrise shine on you? To shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Here's what we should think when we read that. You're sitting in a cell. And you can look out the window and all you can see out there is the gallows. The gallows that they've erected for you. And the execution is in the morning. You are sitting in the shadow of death, <laughs> right? Judgment. You know it, you're guilty, you did it. There is no hope, none. And you can see it, it's right there, it's right out the window. They conveniently lit it for you so you can see it, you know? It's right there in your face. And then what? The, the door opened. Light comes in. The governor, you know, hey, you're free. You're free. Now, how do you respond at that moment? What do you do? What do you do? You say, oh, all right. I deserved it anyway. It's about time. What do you do? Do you yawn? Do you turn around and curl up on the straw in the corner? Because you really kind of like that cell? One more night. Can I just spend one more night, please? Here's what you do. I'm going to read this and we're done. Isaiah chapter 9. Listen. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. We don't even understand what in the world he's talking about because last time I checked, we don't really get all excited about harvest and nor have we divided the spoil. <laughs> but, 
rejoicing at harvest, the grain grew. We get to live. And we can't store it all, it'll just rot, so we better eat a bunch of it right now. And we won the battle. We didn't die. And they have a lot of good stuff. And you get some, and I get some, and we all get some. Right? For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning. Fuel for the fire. Gone. Why? For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How do you think they, they heard that? How do you think Zacharias heard it? Finally, it's true. Salvation. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, amen, that's nice. I want to read you a quote from a pastor up in Canada, and then we are done. It's a guy named Calvin Seerveld. And here's what he said. He's talking about Roman, or <laughs> Isaiah 9 that I just read to you, and here's what he says. He says, our coming celebration of the words becoming flesh, of, wor of Christ, of the word becoming flesh, if it follows the contemporary pattern of commercialized commemoration, will not correspond to the oriental enthusiasm, almost intoxicated adoration and thanksgiving, which Isaiah depicts. Our perfunctory praise and informed explanation shall seem much more like the reception by the scribes and Pharisees, sedate in Jerusalem, quoting chapter and verse of the event, but untouched by the light, unmoved by the holy light which makes strangers into believers who run like fools to Bethlehem and get down on their knees before the child. <laughs> Think about the scribes. Remember the, the magi come to them? Uh, we see that there's a star. The king of the Jews have been born. Where is this supposed to happen? Uh, well, <coughs> let's see here. Uh, according to the records, uh, the best theologians concur. It's Bethlehem. That's what they were. That's what they did. They didn't care. You don't find them going to Bethlehem. He goes on. Perhaps we church people have lost the staggering feeling of victory, rescue, liberation, because we have forgotten the terror and hopelessness of sin. 
Perhaps we church people have lost the staggering feeling of victory, rescue, liberation because we've forgotten the terror and hopelessness of sin. To be bound by sin is to live like a captive animal, a beast of burden, heavily laden, driven by the evil one, yoked and beaten, waiting for an end to it all and a new beginning, which never comes. Laboring lonely through the valley of the shadows of death, Unless this reality to which we, are all, we all stay prone, turning into beasts of burden, unless this conditions our celebration, the celebration cannot be like the one Isaiah 9 describes, it must be a celebration foreign to the scriptures. Christmas is not a time to yawn. It's a time to celebrate. Zechariah celebrated. All he had was still promise and shadow. We have it all, the real thing, here. I call you to him and to worship him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us not like the stingy, pointy-nosed, egghead scribes and Pharisees who didn't love you at all. But make us glad, very glad, because of your tender mercies, because of the salvation from our enemies, because of the forgiveness of our sins, because of the freedom now to serve you and to love it. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.